together and give the Lord a great praise. Welcome, family, both in-house, online. Great to see you. Father, we thank you for your spirit tonight. We ask that as we go into your word, that you make our time profitable, that you make our time effective. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Get your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, even though you may have it in your Bible tonight, I'm going to read the text uh, just for the sake of clarity out of the New International Version. And... There's a couple things I want you to pick up on. What we're going to do real quick, thank you, musicians, you guys are great. What we're going to do is we are going to look at uh, Jesus telling a parable, and then this is one of those few texts in the scripture where after he tells the parable, which sometimes can be some, you know, sort of opaque and not not really bright and clear, he's going to go down a few verses later, and he's going to explain what he means by the parable. So I really love this text because you have Jesus interpreting his own words. So uh, notice a couple of things in it. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse one, we're gonna read down to verse nine and we're gonna skip down to verse 18, okay? You ready? All right, folks upstairs, not everybody has Bibles, so let's get Matthew 13, uh, one through nine up there. There we go. The same day Jesus went out of the house set by the lake and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came, ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Notice how it says that they grew up and choked the plants. That's interesting. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now let's go down to verse 18. Jesus is explaining to his disciples after they questioned him about this. And he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, that's what this is now. The message about the kingdom. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. All right. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Father, thank you again for your word. Bless it tonight. Tonight we're talking from the subject, beware the heart. Look at somebody and say, beware, beware. the heart. Now smile real big and cheesy at somebody. Tell them you're glad they came tonight and then you can take your seat. Let's get into this. Two primary reasons for Jesus coming from heaven to the earth. Two primary reasons. Number one, to purchase our redemption with his own sacrifice. That's the primary. And then next, to establish the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is the kingdom of God? I'm going to ask you again, 
what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's a lot of things, but it is not less than the power and authority of God in heaven entering the world to restore what mankind lost during the fall. And when mankind fell in the garden, we lost a lot of things that God intended us to have. A lot of things God never intended to be in the world entered into the world because of the fall. So when Jesus comes, number one, he's there to pay for our redemption. Number two, he's there to reintroduce and restore to mankind what was lost in the fall. God didn't create a broken world. We broke it. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. God didn't create a broken world. We broke it. And so when God comes in the form of Jesus Christ, yes, he's coming as Savior, but he's also coming preaching a kingdom, a kingdom that is now foreign to mankind because mankind has lived so long in our lost condition. But he begins teaching the kingdom, and it's all about restoration. And when the kingdom of God begins functioning in your heart by faith, the kingdom itself will literally begin to assault the brokenness in your life because there is no brokenness in the kingdom. So as the kingdom begins to expand inside your heart, it goes out seeking the areas of brokenness and just pushing them out because the kingdom is against brokenness. If you think about it, think about every, just let your mind run wild. Think about every miracle Jesus Christ ever performed. All they were, were miracles of restoration. Right? Think about it. It's just Jesus imposing kingdom rule into a situation that needed to be restored. Uh, think about his first miracle. He's at a wedding feast, and they've run out of wine. What is that? That's lack. Okay? But there is no lack in the kingdom. And Jesus happened to be an invited guest at the party. So what does Jesus do? He just imposes a kingdom dynamic and a kingdom principle on the situation. And the kingdom itself removes lack. He turned water into wine. When Jesus healed the blind man on the side of the road who was begging, what was he doing? He was restoring to the man what the brokenness that was caused by sin and the fall in the garden introduced into the earth, earth, which was sickness and disease. God created us to have eyes to see. The reason some people don't have eyes to see is ultimately we live in a fallen and broken world. But there's no brokenness in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes to heal him. And, and really what we call a miracle of healing is just Jesus restoring and imposing the kingdom of God in that situation. Whatever brokenness you are dealing with in your life, the kingdom of God is against it. The kingdom of God is against the lack, the brokenness, the sickness, the relational issue, whatever it is, the kingdom is against it. Now, we won't see the fullness of this. We won't see this in perfect manifestation. You know, all the problems in the world aren't going to get fixed if people get saved. We won't see the fullness of it until the end of the age when the Lord returns. And then, you know, he'll wipe away every tear. There will be no more weeping, no more mourning and all of that. But God does give miracles to advertise this is what the kingdom is. That's what a big part of Jesus' ministry was. Going around advertising, hey, lame. Start walking because this is what the kingdom is. Blind, start seeing. Deaf, start hearing. Dead, get up from the grave because this is what the kingdom is. They were advertisements. Hey, another kingdom's here. Something else is available. That was, uh, the, and, and even the miracles of the apostles and even the miracles that God has worked through anointed men and women all the way up till today. Uh, we got a report that someone, they didn't even come up for uh, prayer for healing. We were just praying together and ministering at the marriage conference and someone that had some severe health issues, uh, just let us know randomly. We just got the information today that they just went to the doctor when they got home from the conference and, uh, there were two major problem areas and the doctor did test and both the problem areas are completely healed. But, but it's, but it's, it's just, but it's just an advertisement. Okay, it's just an advertisement. You know, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is functioning. The kingdom of God is pushing out those things that are contrary to the kingdom. So how is the kingdom of God established in our lives? And this is amazing. 
How is the kingdom of God established in our life? It's not what you would think. If you're talking about the most powerful kingdom in the universe and someone asks, what are the dynamics of it? How is it established? Our answer as Christians is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to this world. The kingdom of God is established by hearing. I mean, who'd have thunk it? It's established by hearing. That's why Jesus says in the text, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's Matthew, first book in the New Testament. What do we hear in Revelation? Jesus saying to John at the end of the Bible, he who has an ear, let him hear. Why? Because this kingdom that began in the New Testament runs all the way through Revelation. This kingdom is established and spreads in your life through something as simple as hearing. So you got to be careful how you hear. You got to be careful that you hear. You got to be careful to understand that you're hearing here. Wait, wait a second. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God is what establishes the kingdom. And this is counterintuitive because natural kingdoms are made from war, dominance, coups and uprisings and hostile takeovers and, and the establishment of a new rule by force and by war. This kingdom is not. This kingdom is established by Hearing, listening is the primary skill in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again in case there's one note taker in the house. Listening is the primary skill in the kingdom of God. And listening is a skill. Uh, latest uh, research and polls have, have figured out people retain about 14%. Of, of if you were listening to a 45 minute lecture or you were in college and you're going through a 45 minute class, you, t you retain about 14%, even less if it goes longer than 45 minutes. Okay. How are you hearing? Do you have a system that makes sure you're able to go back and rehear and rehear and rehear to make sure whatever the, the, the gaps are that, that you missed, that you are taking it in? Because our kingdom, the kingdom of God, advances and spreads and grows through the skill of listening. The kingdom of God, why is it, why is it manifest and why does it spread through listening? Because the kingdom of God is not intrusive to your will. God is such a gentleman, he gives you the choice to choose against him. The kingdom of God is not intrusive to your will. It does not smash into your life like a boulder in order to create transformation. Rather, the kingdom of God comes in like a seed. Now look at the boulder for a minute. If we're talking about transformation, if you looked at a big boulder and then you looked at a tiny seed, do we have a seed we can show? It, it seems like if you're wanting to create impact, if you want to, to really get something done, it seems like the boulder has a more dynamic impact on the ground than the seed would. The boulder comes in and smashes violently. The seed goes in very quietly. But the difference is one of those two things will produce a new life where there wasn't any before. So while the boulder may create a lot of change externally, the seed goes in deep. It goes in quietly. doesn't look like anything's happening. But all of a sudden, new life that wasn't there before springs up. And this is the case with the kingdom of God. You know, all of man's efforts, they're like boulders. That's what religion is and obeying religious rules and trying to keep laws. You're, you're, you're bringing a boulder in and you may be changing the outward appearance. You may be, you know, changing the way you dress or changing the way you talk or, or cleaning up your lifestyle with willpower and moral, uh, you know, convictions. And, and yet the True transformation is not taking place because you may have changed the external, but you didn't do anything to the internal. And so when Jesus starts teaching about the kingdom of God in our text, he calls it. He says, here's what it's like. It's like a farmer going out, not with boulders, but with seeds. Look at uh, verse 18, Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. I want to get into that a little bit. He's not, he's not being hard on people who have intellectual problems and are there. They find it difficult to understand that Greek word understand means to let the truth sink down deep, to let the truth get past the surface level of just the mind and the intellect and seek sink down deep. So in other words, uh, point number one, Jesus says, beware the hard heart. Everybody say the hard heart. In other words, intellect only trying to process and possess spiritual truths from purely an analytical intellectual perspective. These are people that have to understand everything intellectually before they will believe anything. They never let the truth sit on them and sink down. If they don't immediately grasp it, if they immediately can't empirically prove it, they cast the truth away. They don't let it sit long enough and be meditated on long enough to sink down into their hearts. And this is, this is why our faith is a challenge to a lot of really intellectual people, a really analytical people struggle with this. It's because... Uh, there are going to be things in the scripture and things in our faith that we always don't immediately understand. You know, can God trust you with a truth you have to sit with for a while? Amen. Can God trust you with something that, that you don't have the immediate answer to when you get asked the questions about it? And so this is a sticking point for a lot of people. They hear about the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And, and they, they hear that Christians teach that if we die believing in Jesus Christ, that one day we are going to bodily rise up from the grave. And, and some people that it's just a sticking point for them. They may love some of the stuff Jesus taught about society and about how to treat your neighbor and all those things. But, but they just get a sticking point with certain elements of doctrine. Jesus said that sticking point is really an opportunity for the evil one to come in and snatch away the seed that was sown in your heart concerning the word. So you have to learn to humble yourself to truths that are bigger than your mind's ability to grasp at the moment. And let God lead you in those truths. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I don't understand it, but if you said it, I got enough history with you. You've proven yourself to me, and I may not understand it, but truth of the matter is, I don't have to understand it. I trust you. Amen. So beware hearing the word with a hard heart. The seed cannot germinate unless it penetrates. And it's possible that you may have been in contact with the word of God that produces the kingdom. And yet it may have never penetrated your heart. You may have heard it with this ear and never heard it with this one. And you have to ask yourself, have you personally felt the weight of the gospel message? You know, have you ever personally been caught in the grip of the scripture's clutches? Has, has a word from the scripture or a word preached ever really grabbed you to your core? And if not, you may be listening to the word with a hard heart. Beware the hard heart. Point number two, beware the shallow heart. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root. Oh, I want to get pastoral here for a minute. And yet I don't want to keep you too long. So I don't know what to do with this. They, they, uh, they hear the word. And at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root. They only last a short time. Because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This second group receives the word and they spring up quick. 
I mean, they received the word and they saw it start working and they get excited about it. They experience God. They had a real encounter with God. They're excited about it. They're just full of joy because they're saying, oh, my God, this thing works. But Jesus said, if there's no root, then trouble and persecution when it comes, not if. That went right over your head. I said, when it comes. I have decided to follow Jesus. Trouble and persecution's coming, I promise you. When it comes, he said, because they have no root. In other words, when, when the heat comes, when the trouble comes, when the trial comes, this second group, they don't have a root, and so they quickly fall away. Why didn't they have a root? They got the same word everybody else got. Why didn't they have a root? It's because they approached God with shallow expectations. What do you mean by that, preacher? When the pain comes to these people, when, when the trouble, when the disappointment comes to these people, when stuff starts going wrong in the lives of these people, these are the people that immediately revert to, I don't know why the word of God isn't working. What, what good is it to serve God anyway? I've been coming to church. I've been paying my tithes. I've been being faithful. I've been worshiping. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. And look at how my life is turning out. What, why follow you anyway? Why serve you anyway? And when these people go off into that, and there's a lot of you in here, in here tonight, so I'm glad you're here. When you go off into that, when you get disappointed or when you get fired or when somebody dies or when the relationship falls apart or when something's wrong with your children that doesn't immediately look like it's going to get fixed and work out the way you wanted it to, you immediately start getting mouthy on God and you check out of your faith. Why are you doing that? It's because you're revealing that your whole approach, the whole paradigm of you even coming to God in the first place was you didn't want to serve God. You wanted God to serve you. And that's selfish. And you know what else it is? It's shallow. Can't build a root system with something that shallow. Do you know the, the paradigm, the, the, when I say paradigm, I mean the lenses people look through their mind to see the world. Do you know the paradigm most people have when they come to church, including the people in here tonight? Do you know what the primary paradigm is about faith and about Jesus and about the Bible? Is that Jesus came to make your life here on earth better. That's what a lot of you think. That's what you think the reality is, is that Jesus came to make sure your bills were paid. Oh, look at me. I told you I was going to get pastoral. You think Jesus came, that the reason Jesus came was to heal you of your arthritis, you know, or to take the fever away from your child at two o'clock in the morning. I'm not saying he doesn't do all that. He, he does. We've seen many, 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 many examples of God's goodness. But that's, if that's the, the root, then trouble's going to blow you away. If that's the root system of your faith, your faith can have branches. Your faith can have a lot of things attached to it. But you better make sure that no earthly conditional thing is the root system of your belief in God and your belief in the gospel. We are, I know you don't like it. It's all right. Sit there. We are not sufferers in need of a solution. We are sinners. <laughs> 
evil, wicked, vile, dark, broken, messed up from the core, don't even understand how evil we are because our own heart is deceitful and lies to us about ourselves. We are sinners, deplorable sinners on our way to a devil's hell. We are not sufferers in need of a divine solution. We are sinners in need of a savior. So the root system, the deepest part, the anchoring root has to be, God, if you don't do nothing else for me, you don't answer any of my prayers, if you don't give me no promotions, if you don't bless me in my relationship, if you don't fix my kids, if you don't keep them from repossessing my car, if you don't do anything else, my root is anchored in the fact that you cleaned up and covered and made a way for this wicked wretch that I am to stand before God Almighty, the judge, righteous and pure and clean simply because of what you did on Calvary's cross. And if you don't do nothing else, you've done more for me than anyone in my whole life because you secured my eternity, you saved my soul, you kept me out of the devil's clutches that's that's got to be the and I think sometimes the institution of the church as a whole ha has has hurt us not not intending to but because you know God's a healer and there's healing in the scripture and it should be preached about but healing's not the main thing. God's a blesser and there's blessing in the scripture and it should be preached about. But blessing's not the main thing. God's a deliverer and there's deliverance in the scripture and it should be preached about. But deliverance is not the main thing. And I think in an effort to broaden our people and our congregations, I think in an effort to get us more biblical and, and scripturally literate, that, that we have moved beyond the good old preaching of the rugged cross to so many other different spot-specific areas that we've raised a generation that knows more about God's blessing than they do about God's blood. They know more about God's healing than they do about our righteous sanctification being in Jesus Christ alone and his sacrifice on Calvary. And when you do that, you raise up a whole generation of people that have no root. So you preach a 10-week bless me series, and hey, I believe in those. But you preach a 10-week bless me series, and all hell breaks loose in someone's life. And when they look on the outside and they don't see anything that you've been saying on the inside... No root. Or when you prayed for God to heal that loved one and then sat with them when they died. And you feel the sting and the awful pain of grief. And you have no root. Or when your marriage of 25 years falls apart. Everything shatters on you and you prayed about that marriage and you sowed and you begged God to make the thing work out and it did not turn out like you wanted it to turn out. And you went to all the marriage conferences. Even mine. You know? And you've heard all this spot specific topical material about all these other things that belong in the branches category not the root some people have gotten saved over bless me doctrine bless me doctrine won't save you some people have gotten saved and, and they've connected to the church because of great leadership principles or great organization. And, and I started reading the Bible and it made me a better businessman or it made me a better businesswoman or, or, or whatever it is. But there's no root. Do you have a root? See, 
This is the category of person that Satan thought Job was. Oh, I feel like preaching. <laughs> he said, God, that boy down there ain't got no root. Yeah, he loves you. Yeah, he serves you. Yeah, he offers sacrifices. Yeah, he goes to church. But the reason that he's doing it is because you blessed him. It's because you got a hedge of protection around him and his family. It's because everything he touches turns to gold because your favor's on his life. God, if you'll drop the hedge and let me touch him for 40 days, he'll curse you to your face, turn his back on you, and say he don't know you. In other words, the trouble will make him wither away because he ain't got no root. You know what Job said after he lost his kids? After he split up with his wife? After he lost his possessions? After boils broke out all over his body and were oozing and he was scraping them with a broken clay picture. You know what Job said? You know what he said? Yeah, you're saying though he slayed me and that would be a good one, but I'm not going to use that one. Do you know what he said? I know my redeemer lives. In other words, I ain't got no more healer because the healer has forsaken me. I ain't got no more blesser because the blessing has forsaken me. I ain't got no more favor. The favor has forsaken me. But one thing I still do know. I know the one that bought my life back from destruction. I know the one who holds my eternal soul and my ultimate future. I know my redeemer lived. If you've got, if you've got that. See, this ain't a shouting message. This ain't a hand clapping, foot stomping message. But, but it does kind of make sense, right? About why, you know, 50 to 60% of the people that are sitting in here with you tonight will not be in here with you in two years. If you've been around this church, if you're one of the few that have stuck around year after year after year, I mean, look around you. Do you know any of these people coming on Sunday? Where'd they all go? No root. And I can tell you don't have a root by how you complain to me about God. Who am I that you call me to complain to God to me? God's not doing it. I just don't understand what I'm doing. You don't have a root. If you don't have a root that's ultimately tied to your salvation, are you even really saved? Verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the Greek word there for worries is the cares, the, the worldly stuff you have to, you know, be around and exposed to because you live in the world, you know, the, the cares of this world, the cares of the flesh nature, the cares even of the sin nature, the cares of the world. Uh, they, uh, and the deceitfulness of wealth, they actually choke the word. They choke the word. This, was, this is a deeper one. Number three, beware the divided heart. Beware the divided heart. This third group of people, they're real Christians. They got a root. They're fruitful. They're committed. But the scripture said the word, it, it, it did fall in the soil, but it fell among thorns. So the fruit is there, but the thorn is there too. 
Now, if you remember the second group we just talked about, no root, okay, those people were totally consumed by the trouble and by the cares of this world. So consumed that because they didn't have a root, it just blew them away. This group's not like that. They have a root, but they also have the cares of this world at the same time. And they're committed to Christ, but they're also committed to this world. So Christ does not have full control of their heart. He has to share control. He's Lord of their lives, just not every part. They worship God, and they also worship their own flesh. Their heart is divided. And Jesus warns that eventually the thorns will choke the fruitful plant. Now, these are people in the kingdom, but not changing. In the kingdom, no growth, no power. No transformation in the kingdom, but all the stuff you used to do, you still do. You know, there's no distinction in certain areas of your life that you belong to him because ultimately there are sectors of your heart that you've been willing to give over to God. And then there are sectors of your heart where you still want control. So the gospel is there. The root is there. There's some good stuff there. There's some even fruit there. But, but you have your areas where you're Lord of all this in my life, but, but not my sexuality. You say, I'm going to do sexuality my way. I heard what the word said about it, but... But it's my sexuality, not his. So I'm going to do sexuality my way. I heard what the word said about what you're supposed to do with your money. But I'm going to do money because at the end of the day, I got bills. I'm going to do money. I'm going to do that my way. Okay. Like you can have all of this. You just can't have. And when you do that, you create a divided heart, you know. I know what the word says about uh, how I'm supposed to treat my spouse. But if I get tired of them, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. I know, I know that that pornography is wrong. I know in my conscience, I know deep down, I know what the word says, you know, I know what the word says about substance abuse and overindulgence. I know what the word says about, you know, whatever your flavor of wrong is. And you know, you, you give Jesus a lot. It's not all. And so that creates divided heart. And here's the problem. Jesus said it. Here's the problem with a divided heart. He said the thorns will eventually choke out the fruitful plant. I would think the good parts of me would eventually choke out the thorns. Not so. Jesus said. The thorns will eventually choke out the fruitful plant. You know what I used to think it meant? I used to visualize, maybe you did too, I don't know. I used to visualize he planted the seed and the fruit came up and the thorns wrapped itself around the plant. And, and that's how it choked him out. Not so. Did you know 
that if you plant a fruitful plant next to a thorn bush, that the thorn bush that doesn't even require that much water will start to steal water from the fruitful plant underneath the ground. This isn't a quick thing. This is a slow thing. That that, that system underneath the ground, in other words, both of them have to be served. Both of them have to drink. And you're in control of which one gets the water. You know? So you come to church on Sunday and you're watering your relationship with God. You come to Bible study on Wednesday night and you're watering your relationship with God. Friday evening, you're sitting there watching pornography and you're watering the thorn bush. All that profanity and filthiness in your talk. Cussing Christian. And you can be one. You know, I've been one and, and I'm working on it. Amen. God, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm taking more and more water away from that bush every day. But glory to God. Sometimes. Water in the thorns. You know, watching that stuff, is it a sin to watch it? Take, take that stupid religious question off the table. What's it watering? You know, is it a sin to listen to that kind of music? Don't bring that mess to me. What's it watering? Is it watering the fruit of Christ in your life? Or is it watering the thorns? And <laughs> what's heartbreaking about it is Jesus said, there comes a point if you don't deal with this, there comes a point, and this is heartbreaking to me, there comes a point that you can water the thorns to the point that they rise up and start to choke out your fruitfulness in God, your fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. In other words, your ability to manifest the kingdom in a certain area of your life. Remember, I told you, anywhere there's brokenness, the kingdom is against it, right? But you may not be, you may not be living as victoriously as you could because instead of kingdom dynamics being watered, you're watering your sin, you're watering your disobedience, you're watering your rebellion, I ain't saying you ain't saved and you don't know Jesus. I'm saying we're not fulfilling as a, as a church, as a congregation, a body. I'm not talking about when we're in here. I'm talking about when we go out there. We're not fulfilling a truth that Jesus said. He said this about kingdom people. He said this about people that got a root, that got this right. He said these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They will cast out demons. Demons will be subject to them. They'll have to go when we say go. But we're not operating in the fullness of our capabilities and in the fullness of our power. Because after you leave Bible study tonight, you're going to go home and water some thorns. Yes, you will. That's why I'm preaching it. He told me. <laughs> you know, I know you wanted a bless me thing and I can do that. I mean, it's it's in there. 
But what's, what's killing us, I don't think, is the lack of blessing. I think what's killing us is the presence of the thorns we keep watering with a divided heart. David had a divided heart. In Psalms 86 and 11, he prays about it. Look at this scripture, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Next. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That's the answer. Because you know what? Honest, you know, honest, to some degree, we all have a divided heart. And, and the key is, there, there's two keys. Number one, which are you watering more? Okay. And then number two, have you taken your division to God in prayer? You know, a lot of Christians... Because they may have, you know, some things working in their faith dynamic and in their their faith life. They kind of put blinders on and don't focus on what's what's not right and what's not the way it should be. And, you know, we continue to offer God our prayer requests like these glaring areas in our life don't exist. And what David is doing is really simple. He's. He's bringing up the discrepancy to God. Have you brought up your discrepancies to God? There's something so purifying about that. There's something so, um, so helpful to the soul about that. It is taking to God the places that you, you haven't surrendered. Taking to God and talking to him about it and telling him what's going on with you. Telling him why you are the way you are in that area and then asking him for help in that area. You know, if it's pornography, take your pornography to your prayer room. Take it to God. If it's an inappropriate relationship, take that thing to your prayer room. Take it to God. You know, if it's a substance abuse problem, take that thing into your prayer room. I mean, we will call AA before we will get down on our knees and talk to God about an addiction. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so great. You know, have you have you take have you drug that thing, whatever it is, have you drug it to God in prayer like you just watched David do? Such an honest, brutally transparent thing. And it made it to the scripture. I mean, I would have said, God, could you hide that for me? Could you cover it up at least? But the man after God's own heart admits he himself had a. And he asked God to change it. Do you know why most of us haven't asked God to change it? Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise. I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Dying breed. Because I really believe that when I die, before God even deals with my soul and my own admittance into heaven, I believe what the scripture says about pastors that I'm going to have to stand in front of him and give him an account for the things that I told you, for the things that I shared. Did I make the way clear? Did I... Did I say what the scripture said? Did I give you the meaning of it and the realness of it? Was I honest with you? Or did I inspire you and encourage you? And that's it. So tonight, 
from a pastor's heart that doesn't want your blood on his hands. Examine yourself with every head bowed and every eye closed. Altars in the scripture are places things come to die. Altars in scripture are places where things come to be laid down. Tomorrow is not promised. It's amazing. It's mind-boggling to think about how many people die every day. And statistically, you got a risky journey home. If there's anything in your heart, in your life, whether it's that first type of ground that you just have never been able to get past some intellectual hurdles, or whether it's that second type of ground, maybe the thing you love most about the church is not the gospel of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe there's no root. Or maybe it's that third. that You got a lot going right, but there's, there's a divided heart in there. There's some things you don't want to lay down. I don't want to close the service without giving you an opportunity to get it right with God. To bring that problem, that circumstance, that issue to an altar and say, God, I'm going to come right out and say it. I need you to help me with it. I know it's wrong. I need you to help me with it. I need you to give me the ability to stop watering that thing. I need you to set me free from that entanglement, from that bondage, from that snare, from those thorns that are tangled around me. Every head bowed, no looking around, every eye closed. If something in the word convicted you tonight and is pulling on you tonight, I want you to come to this altar as quick as you can. I want you to come and kneel down, find you a spot. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's looking at you. If you need to come down here, come find you a spot. Now, this ain't a moment and a time for me to come pray for you. This is a time for you to bring whatever that source of division is, whatever that thing is in your heart, you got to bring it to him. This is a time you bring it to him. This is a time you come to him and repent. This is a time you come and cry out. This is a time you come and deal with the thing. Deal with the thing. If you need to come, come. If you need to come, come. How's the first part of that go? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on. You got to open your mouth. Nobody can repent for you. This is your work. There's no need in me Bring it up to him. Drag it to him. Expose it to him. Let him deal with it. Pray about it. Give me an undivided heart. Nothing left in my Oh, yes. Oh, he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Will you give it to me, son? Will you give it to me, daughter? Will you give it to me? Can I have it? Can I have it, says the Lord. Move on your people. Oh, like a mighty Russian wind, move on your people. As they draw nigh unto you, God, draw nigh unto them. Meet them right where they are. Begin to send the manifestation of kingdom power. Begin to send the manifestation of what happens. Will we turn it over to you? Oh, search me till there's nothing hidden. Oh, 
Let the tears fall. Let the tears fall. If it's not like you, I don't want it. If it's not like you, I don't need it. about. Clean the deception out. Clean the lies out. Clean the lust out. with you. Let him touch you. Let him meet you where you are. Let him get involved with the thorns, with the thorns. Oh, yes. My heart is yours forever. Been a long time since some of you cried out to him. Been a long time since some of you lifted up your voice. Been a long time since some of you said, I'm wrong and I need to be saved. I'm wrong and you're the only one that can fix it. I'm wrong and you're the only one that can heal it. I'm wrong. Problem ain't my job, problem ain't my relationship. The problem's me, I'm wrong. Oh, power comes when you start praying like that. I said, power comes. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. is a sign you belong to him. Repentance is a sign you know his way is right. Repentance is a sign. Oh yes! Oh I messed it up real bad and I need you daddy! Daddy! 
All about you, yes. It's all about you. It's all about you. All about you. It's all about you. Father, I gave them what you gave me to give them. And I pray your word takes root in their spirits. I pray their ground begins to produce fruit. I pray the manifestation of the kingdom of God begins to invade every brokenness. But most of all, God, I pray that faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would take the deepest place in their soul. That they would trust you and you alone for their salvation. And that they would take all of the divided places of their heart to you. You're not an abusive father. You're not a father who refuses us when we come with a broken and a contrite spirit. God, I pray that marvelous gift of repentance that you made available to us, that we would use it. That when we're wrong, we would learn to bring our wrong to you, not try to hide it or ignore it, or, but, but bring it to you. And Father, I pray your blessing your reign of refreshing over every single person up under the sound of my voice. And I pray your strength over their lives. I pray that give us an undivided heart that we may reverence you, that we may worship you, that we may be everything you intended us to be when you created us. In Jesus' name. Before we leave, could you just lift up your hands and sing this little chorus with us? If you've been in church any amount of time at all, you know it. It just says, I surrender.
more time all over the congregation. Everybody say, oh, I, I surrender home. Oh, I, I surrender home. All to Thee. Lord bless you tonight. If you have your tithe or your offering, something you'd like to give, you can come bring it to the front. We pray the Lord bless you, keep you, lift his countenance upon you, give you peace, give you strength, lead you and guide you into all truth, fill you with his spirit and allow your life to manifest his mighty power working in us through Jesus Christ our Lord. God bless you tonight. We love you so much. We'll see you on Sunday. Amen.